is a dynamic speaker. So pray that the Lord would just minister in our absence. We are grateful for the time to be away as a family, and thank you for making that possible. This morning, if you turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 14, just five more verses this morning, but five impactful verses for our lives, especially with regard to the mission of the church. If my task is this, to not mess up God's Word. That's basically my goal. That's my task. It's to simply bring the Word of God simply to you so that you have the truth of the Word of God and it is at your disposal then uh, for life, for godliness, to, to uh, in essence answer those questions, those deep things of life. That really is also the mission of the church and it's also the mission of the body of Christ. The truths that we've been passing along in this church have been passed along for centuries. They've been passed along for a couple of millennia. These are not new things. The problem with the church is the church often denies the word of God and picks up the tactics of the world, the things of the world, the tendencies of the world. And so this morning, uh, the victorious workman My goal, my task is to be a victorious workman, and yours should be as well. And that means that we rightly divide the word of truth, that we stick to what Scripture says, not what the world dictates and mandates to us by its own device and design. And so this morning, if you would pray with me as we ask God to bless his word as we read it. Father God, we again... I'll pause to give you thanks for your goodness and for your blessings, for the things that you do for us each day, that your word declares that your eyes go to and fro upon your children. Lord, you know our needs, and as we've come today with needs, Lord, as we've come with concerns, we pray that your word would impact us with truth, cause us to walk in your ways. We give you this time. We ask that you would now speak to us through the power of your word. We ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 14, For remind them of these things. And so Paul, again speaking to Timothy, writing from prison, his last words to this young man that he's mentored in ministry, he said, Remind them of these things. And these things are, which we just looked at last week and the week before, are the truth that there is exactly one way to get to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. That the truth of that is contained within God's Word. And so this is the right Savior and the right doctrine. Remind them of these things. Very often people ask me, well, you know, you kind of repeated that thing two or three weeks in a row. That's because you need to be reminded of these things. Because very often it is the things that we forget to remind one another of that it is most important. And furthermore, it is those things which are most important to us very often that are the hardest upon us in our daily lives on this earth. And so the truth needs to be repeated. Secondarily to that, not everyone makes every service. Things that I may have said two weeks ago, there might be Five new people here that have never heard that before. And so the basic doctrines of faith must be repeated. They need to be heard over and over again so that, as we get to the rest of this passage, it is not only truth to us, 
but it's the life that we live. It becomes more than just words on page. It becomes the truth that we understand, know, believe, and live out. And so he says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. Have you ever noticed how many people argue over the most frivolous, ridiculous points, uh, minor things of doctrine? Church splits have happened over uh, the silliest of things that will neither put you in nor keep you out of the kingdom of God. And so he says, be careful that the things that you teach and the things that you focus in on, the things that you bring to light repetitively, have meaning and purpose, that they are truly doctrines of faith, things that are essential to our walks with Christ, and they're not just merely man's opinions. Or perhaps the newest thing of the day in the church. I, I... you know, run in a circle with an awful lot of pastors of very large churches. And I can tell you there's a lot of differentiation between the ways churches do ministry. And it's amazing to me how many arguments occur over whether you ought to have, you know, campus churches that have big flat screens in them instead of a pastor or... You know, whether you need to have a smaller church or a bigger church or whether the church should be purple or green or red or whether you should have coffee or not. I mean, churches split over these things sometimes. That is not of the Lord. The essential doctrines of the faith should be the consistent thing that's taught in every church. He says, don't strive about words that are to no profit that are to the ruin of the hearers. How many people have given as their excuse for not attending church as the argumentation that happens in the body of Christ? Amen? I myself driven away from church because Christians couldn't get along because they simply fought over things that were not essential to our faith in Christ Jesus. And he goes on now, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This verse is the theme verse for Calvary Chapel Bible College. It's on the letterhead. And the reason it's there is that ultimately as a pastor, my goal is to not mess up the word of God. It's to make sure that when I speak to you from God's word, that I'm speaking what it says, I am not making it say what I want, but simply giving it to you as it is and giving it sense and meaning as Nehemiah 8 tells us. So that you understand, so that you're gleaning the truth of God's Word. You're not simply getting what I think. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Amazing how many churches are adherent more to a book or a philosophy of ministry than they are to the Word of God. That instead of simply teaching what Scripture says and standing on the Word of God, that they would rather pull out their book from their particular group and and say, Thus says the Lord. In this church, we teach the Word. And that's all we teach. So when someone comes to me and says we need, you know, this particular program or that program or we need to pass out this book to the entire body, there is exactly one book you need. You already have it. 
It's your Bible. The rest of them may be helpful or beneficial. They may not. They may contain some truth. They may not. It is the Word of God upon which we stand. And the more silly things that people babble about, the worse it gets. And quite frankly, exactly as this says, the more ungodliness increases. People get hung up. Uh, I could name you church after church after church that have brought some form of shame to the kingdom of God because they have overemphasized something that absolutely is not emphasized that way in Scripture, like the power of positive thinking. Find that one in your Bible. And yet there's a whole group of churches that believe that your mind basically is the thing that matters. My Bible says your mind is evil. My Bible actually says that your mind needs to be controlled by the Holy Spirit or it will come up with all kinds of stupid things. And so to sit there and positively think is going to accomplish little or nothing for the average person. We're to avoid those things, shun them. And their message, notice this, will spread like cancer. Why do you think there are so many churches that are a flash in the pan. They show up for a few years. They come up with some new program, some new way of doing church, and then they disappear from the scene because they're really not of God. They're cancerous. They take away from the kingdom of God because their focus is not on the Word. It's on the programs of man. And very often it's a blending of secular humanism uh, the mores of the day, and trying to make people feel good, in essence, in their sin. We call them Sunday sermons. Sunday, as in the thing with ice cream in it. Make you all feel good. It's covered with chocolate and nuts. Your favorite toppings right there on it. And you walk out just going, man, that was so good. And your life is not changed. Your mind is not renewed. Your sin is not confronted. And you are not challenged to live godly in Christ Jesus. You're made to feel comfortable exactly where you are in the things that ultimately will destroy you. That is not of God. It's why you have heard me say frequently and often, my goal is to not make you comfortable. My goal is to teach you the truth. My goal is to not bless your sin. My goal is to confront your sin. My goal is to make sure that you understand fully the grace of God while understanding your responsibility is to obey His Word. Those things balance one another. But if I just simply try and fill this church up with people who just want to come and because they feel good every single time they walk out of here, I am not teaching the truth. If you've never been offended here at this church, I've probably missed something. If you've never been tested, you know, and you walk away, she says, I can't believe he said that. Then I'm probably not doing what God's called me to do. Because I can tell you, it happens to me when I read it. I'm like, no, Lord, you didn't say that. I mean, I can't be mean and just go out there and tell those people what I think. You see, the Word of God is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. And it divides between your soul and your spirit. It affects your mind. 
It causes you to think and rethink the things that you're doing, why you're doing them, and your motivations for doing them. So make sure that what you're hearing is the truth, is the point here. That's why when somebody comes to me and, you know, hey, I reread that passage, and, you know, I'm not, that doesn't offend me in the slightest. That means that you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Now, I'll probably tell you you're wrong. <laughs> more than likely, I'll pull out, you know, 50 more references, but please do it. Because I, I work very hard at rightly dividing the word of truth. I feel confident that on that day of judgment, as James chapter 3 and verse 1 reminds us, let not many of you become teachers, for know this, you will suffer the stricter judgment. Someday I'm going to stand before a holy God and give an account for what I taught from this pulpit. And that scares me to death. I don't take it lightly or flippantly. And the fact that I have that opportunity to me is both a blessing, and at the same time it strikes great fear into my heart. Connie heard me shudder this morning. I, every once in a while, I'm just like, oh, you know, I'll be reading or studying my notes, and it's like, oh man, I can't believe I wrote that. I'm like, scratch it all out, and I'm just like, that wasn't from you, Lord. I can't say that. We teach the truth. That's all we teach. And their message will spread like cancer, and Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. The problem with false teaching is as it spreads as a cancer, it undermines people who were actually doing okay at one point in time. I can't tell you how many people are comfortable in their sin because of the doctrinal bent called antinomianism. Basically, that sin really doesn't matter. It only matters what you feel in your heart. So as you're robbing that bank, as long as you feel in your heart that it's okay and that you can't help yourself because your body's evil, your mind is evil, it spreads like cancer because it appeals to your flesh. False teaching always appeals to your flesh you'll feel really good about false teaching. You mean I can cheat on my taxes? Oh, yeah. Because that's Caesar, and Caesar's evil. See, if I told you guys that, you'd all watch. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, because you just set me free, and I'm not going to pay taxes anymore. And then when you end up in jail, you're going to be calling me. Actually, your attorney will probably be calling me. You go, why did you say that? You see, we need to stick to what Scripture says, and sometimes it's very uncomfortable because the Bible actually says, Render ye therefore unto Caesar those things which are Caesar's, and unto God those things which are God's. You have a responsibility, actually, to pay taxes. And so when some pastor steps up and says, You know, I just found a... I, I really don't believe it's biblical because, you know, they spend your tax money on ungodly things, so you should quit paying taxes. That spreads like cancer. Ultimately, those people end up in jail. Absolutely useless to the body of Christ. 
We need to be careful, folks, that we rightly divide the word of truth. In this case, it was involving the resurrection. From a Greek standpoint, they believed that there was an afterlife, but they certainly didn't believe in the resurrection of the body of Christ. And nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Would you put a one by that first sentence and a two by the second, and remember that both are true? You're saved by grace through faith. The Lord knows who are his, and you didn't make that happen. Jesus made that happen on Calvary's cross. And secondarily, if you're actually saved, if you really have a relationship with God, if there is truth that's in you and abiding, and you are abiding in the vine and you're living for God, and you've truly been a child of grace, that you're also going to not sin. doesn't mean you'll be perfect. But it means that you'll hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. You can't have one without the other. When somebody comes and says, well, you know, it's all about grace, man. I tell them, Jesus himself said, you are my disciples indeed if you keep my commandments. But there should be a marked change in your life. And the Word of God does that. Because it confronts your iniquity. It confronts your sin. It says, you know what, I'm supposed to be kind. I'm not supposed to be mean-spirited and bitter. I'm supposed to be gentle. I'm, I'm not supposed to lord over people. I am not allowed to think the way I used to think and do what I used to do. To sit around and declare that the church can sin as it pleases is to deny the plain teaching of Scripture. To, to say that we can do whatever we want to do and it's all covered by the blood is to deny the plain teaching of Scripture. Is His grace sufficient for all my sin? Absolutely. But Scripture doesn't teach it. You can do whatever you want, and God's okay with it. And there's an awful lot of the church that believes that. That's why divorce is so rampant in the church. Because the plain teaching of Scripture is God hates divorce. He never ordains it. God loves all human life. That's not up to us to tell God what God said. We're supposed to do what God said and live the way God intends us to live. And so here, as we begin to break this passage down this morning, that word that's translated there, diligent, here in the New King James to, to present yourself to God, to be diligent to do so, uh, means to be zealous after. It means to apply all of your effort. It, it means that as you study God's Word, you're doing it because it is worthy of your endeavor. Now, most of us don't put a whole lot of time in things that we don't think are profitable. Amen? I mean, I usually put my time, effort, my energy, my talents, my treasures into things that I know are profitable. What he's saying here is the study of God's Word is something to be zealous for, to be diligent at. It has very little to do, quite frankly, with books and teaching. It has much more to do with the effort that you put into it and the spirit with which you are guided. 
You, you see, I'm supposed to seek after the Spirit of God to say, God, speak to me through your word. I pray that you pray that before you come to any service here. God, speak to me through your word. I pray that for you. And it's most often, God, do not let me mess up what you have said. Let me communicate clearly and concisely your truth so that whoever hears it will walk away possessing truth, not my opinion. That's the goal. So, really, I am a workman. I'm someone who has endeavored to study, and so should you be. It's interesting here because when you really look at these words, they're kind of in the construction vernacular, and so let me share with you what it really means. Rightly dividing actually could be translated cutting straight, or laid straight, or put straight. And it applies, in essence, in in a number of trades, but certainly in that of masonry. You know how I can tell when somebody really hasn't ever laid block or brick before? When I used to interview people to work for my company, I could send them out on a job, hand them a trowel and a stack of blocks, and in five minutes I could tell you whether that person had ever laid block of any sort. Because I could look down the bed joint and go, you ain't got what it takes. Because it's like this. Bed joints inch and a half thick in one place, and it's a quarter inch in another, and the head joints the same thing. If you are really rightly dividing, if you're cutting straight, if you have that skill, then the finished product bears witness of it. When someone changes their opinion constantly on what Scripture says, it's not rightly dividing the word of truth. When someone one day believes that they're free to sin as they please, the next day comes to the conclusion that perhaps they were, you know, maybe there's room for another opinion here. We need to make sure that we're rightly dividing the word of truth. The message should be the same consistently. Because the message is the message. When people come to me and tell me there's many different interpretations of Scripture, I tell them, no, there isn't. There really isn't. There's actually one interpretation of almost everything. How you apply it, that's where the difference comes. But as far as what it says, it says what it says and means what it says. And so when you lay it out in front of people, it should be rightly divided. It should look as if the Lord spoke those truths. And so God's Word being that thing that we guard and invest our time in. Scripture calls the Word of God the soldier's sword. He calls it the farmer's seed. Amen? So it's that which we are sowing into people's lives. It is that with which we guard. It is that with which we cut. That's why Scripture declares that that sword has two edges. I can guard with it, and I can attack with it. I can protect with it, and I can also go out then and and cause the the positive effect of slashing away the things that ought not be in somebody's life. And sometimes the sword does both in the same passage. It protects us, reminding us who we are in God's grace, and at the same time says if you're a child of God's grace, that shouldn't be in your life. It's relatively simple. 
A sloppy worker is going to handle God's word deceitfully in order to make it say what he wants it to say. That is a fact. That's why when you go to a church, anytime you go to a church and there's a six-week series on giving, you need to pack your bags and find another church. Because Scripture only talks about it a handful of times. We, we should not be emphasizing things that Scripture doesn't emphasize. We should not be repeating things that are not a consistent theme of sound doctrine. We bring forth the truths of God's Word, not my opinion. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 in the New Living says this, For we do not try and trick people into believing. I love this verse. If you can talk somebody into being saved, they can be talked out. Have you ever thought of that? If it's just crafty words and a sweet presentation, you know, if I just memorize a bunch of verses and I rattle them off and I, you know, I come up with some dogmatic personality thing that I can do and if I try and trick people, if I try and cajole them, if I'm simply just overpowering in my argument, then someone can come along later and convince them otherwise. We don't use the Word of God to manipulate. We use the Word of God simply to present the truth. God's Word is very, very, very powerful at convicting the human soul of its truth. So all I need to do is give you the truth. All you need to do is give people the truth. If you give them the truth, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. If you give them your opinion, the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. For we are not interested in fooling anyone. For we never try to get anyone to believe that the Bible teaches what it doesn't. This is again from the New Living. For all such shameful methods we forego. And we stand in the presence of God as we speak and so tell the truth as all who know will agree. You see, my, my task, my goal as a workman is to just simply pass along the truth. That's all you need to do. That's why I've shared with you so many times. I've, having the privilege of being at my age and doing the things that I do in ministry, you know, I've seen some. I've seen God speak through some real donkeys, myself included at times. But I mean, you just look. It's like, Lord, how you know this? Is, no, this guy doesn't even speak English. I don't know what it is. It's not a foreign language, but it's not English. And that young man delivers that message and 200 kids get up out of their seats and go do business with God because he spoke the truth, because he simply repeated God's word. That is what we work with in the ministry. God's going to test that ministry. He's going to make sure that we are true to his word. You, you, you see, an ashamed worker, the flip side of this, has to go back and go, I really didn't know what I was doing. Now, for those of you that ever worked in most of the construction trades, if you ever apply for a job and you put on your application, oh, yeah, you know, I ran this crew and did that crew, and, you know, and I have all these skills and gifts and talents, and, oh, I'm a finished carpenter, and I'm a framer, and blah, 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 and on and on and on. I used to get applications. I'd look at them. The guy's, you know, in his early 20s, and he claims to have 74 years of experience, you know. 
I was a foreman when I was three years old. And, you know, you just go down this list of things. And you know what happens? The first job you put them on, you know how much truth was in them. You can tell by what they do. And an ashamed worker, someone who doesn't know what they're doing, ultimately all you got to do is take out the truth. You pull out the plumb bob of the Word of God and you throw it on there and go, man, the wall's leaning at 15 degrees. Are you sure you have that kind of experience? You, you see, you can tell whether someone's rightly divided the truth by pulling out the truth. All you got to do is pull this out and read it. God didn't make this so complex that the average person can't, can't take out their Bible and go, man, that's right on, or that's heresy. The ashamed workman, when someone pulls out their Bible, goes, oh, man, that wasn't the truth. That was just me. We need to make sure that we are teaching the truth. Some of the things that, quite frankly, make me a little bit irritated at times is you get the people in the corporate prayer times that, that use it as an opportunity to express their displeasure with somebody else or expose someone else's sin. That's not rightly dividing the word of truth. That's taking advantage of the situation so that you can gossip. We need to make sure that all that we do brings glory and honor and praise to the Lord. Very important that our standard is the word. The word that's approved here is also used in the testing of materials and metals. To approve something is to find out what it's made out of. You know, there's a number of chemical tests that you can do to tell whether something's a precious metal or not. Only takes a couple of drops of sulfuric acid on gold, and you can tell instantaneously whether it's gold or whether it's mixed with something. Because if it's mixed with anything, it will have a chemical reaction. But if it's pure gold, there'll be absolutely no reaction. You can drop all the acid on it you want, and it'll just sit there and look at you. So as we use God's Word effectively, it should be able to be tested those tests that we have, is it right? Is it true? Does it produce the fruit of the Spirit? There are a number of spiritual tests that when applied to the Word of God, they will always come out affirmative. We test the Word of God. Each trial that comes along, in essence, is a test. Now, having said all this, if God were looking at perfection, he wouldn't use any of us. Amen? I should just go home. Leave on vacation early. But that's not what's being said here. It's being said the standard is God's word. That's what we shoot at. That's what we aim for. That is the tool that we use. It's the standard by which we measure it. It's all these things that I have just said. You pull out your Bibles, and you read your Bibles, and you see if these things are thus and so. Have you ever wondered why I give you all these references to other parts of Scripture? It's because Scripture is the best, the best interpreter of Scripture. We use Scripture to verify what Scripture says. We call it internal interpretation. In other words, Scripture actually interprets itself for us if we will study it. 
to show ourselves an approved workman, rightly dividing the truth, using the proper tests. But using somebody's book that they wrote to test whether Scripture is true doesn't quite do the same thing, does it? We need to use Scripture to test Scripture. Martin Luther once said that he studied God's Word like he picked apples. I love this analogy. We have a very wonderful apple tree out at the camp. Actually, we have one at the house. But we have a really big, beautiful one at the camp. And usually it'll have a thousand or more apples on it. I mean, this thing produces a lot of apples. And early in the season, once the apples begin to ripen, you can walk up to the tree and you can grab about 50 of them off the lower limbs. You can just, you know, perfect, you know, here they are. But as the season progresses and it's been picked on by thousands of junior hires, the coyote snag them, you know, or staffy, you know, after a while, the, the, the remaining apples are way up there in the top of the tree and you've got to get up in the tree and climb on the trunks and on the limbs and finally you can get up there to that last apple. What a wonderful way, what a wonderful way to study God's Word. Initially, you're looking at the stuff that's staring you in the face. It's right there. It's clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, lest any other should boast. But all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall keep His commandments. You see, yeah, I'm saved by grace, but I'm also obligated to do what he says. So those first apples you pick are the grace of God. And by the time you've walked with the Lord for a while, you realize, be ye therefore holy as I am holy. You see, those are up in the top of the tree. Because if God just simply told you when you initially got saved, be holy, you'd be just like the Jews. If you can't, we need to come up with a religious way to get it done. So he offers you first grace at the bottom of the tree. And at the top of the tree is his holiness. That's what God's word does for you. It's what it does for me. We shouldn't be sitting around quarreling about things that it does not say. So as we break this down, wrap up this morning, keep reminding them the New International Version says of these things. So when I say things over and over again, I'm really not forgetful. I, I don't have, you know, pastor's heimers. I've been accused of that. You know you taught on that. No, I know I taught on that last week. That's because you're knuckleheads. And so am I. There are things that God reminds me of constantly, frequently, and often. They're, they're important for us. I may have delivered that same truth last week. Hopefully I'll figure out a new way to say it. But the truth remains. We need to repeat the truths of God. But we shouldn't be at the same time quarreling about words. That's why I share with you that verse there from James chapter 3. It's a solemn thing to be given the, the gift of teaching. Because in exercising it, these are God's truths. They're not my opinion. When people quarrel, they can't quarrel over God's truth. They quarrel over man's opinions. They quarrel over the silly things that quite frankly, are non-essential to the salvation of anyone. So every church's duty really is to primarily teach the Word. Uh, and, and those arguments, and, and it's mind-boggling. You know, I, I get people all the time, you know, well, you never mention numerology. That's because 
it is not an exact science. Quite frankly, very often it is contrived. When somebody, well, you know, there's an acrostic there. There may be, but acrostics don't save men's souls. They can be interesting. I, I myself like to read those things, but I'm not going to sit around and try and convince you that there's a hidden code within the Bible that spells out your name. If you take every 47th letter in the book of James and you pull it out and you set it aside, I, I'm not going to do that. Because then people start thinking that there's things that this says without saying them. I want people reading it for what it says and understanding what it says because God authored it. And if we needed to know numerology or any other thing like it in order to have a healthy walk with the Lord, we're all in trouble. Because we got people in this church that can't add. So it's like, was that a three or a five? I don't know. The Word of God speaks plainly His truths. And you can read it and understand it be saved by it, and live lives that are pleasing to the Lord by simply, rightly dividing the truth. You don't need the secrets. We don't need to sit around and debate those things that for some are very interesting. That's why churches that are built on anything other than the study of God's Word have a tremendous up-and-down cycle in attendance. You know, I have shared with you many, many times, and will continue when it's appropriate, uh, that which is the doctrinal uh, association of God's Word with eschatology, or last days things, or end times things. They're very interesting, but to make this church all about the last days is to deny the plain teaching of Scripture. To make this church about any specific subject, creationism, whatever, those things in their proper context are wonderful, but you don't make the entire church a creation science church. When we have an opportunity to do that, we do that, and we always will. But we need to keep God's Word saying what it says. God's Word is not chiefly about us understanding the creation God's Word is chiefly about us understanding the marvelous plan of redemption that He put forth from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. You, you, you see, it, it is about what He wants it to be about. Those specific disciplines of study are wonderful, but we cannot make them the only thing that we teach about. And it doesn't really matter what those things are. There are some churches that are so into the social things that Scripture hits on that that's their goal. And then people do not get the whole counsel of God's Word. And in fact, that's what starts division. Somebody comes, well, you know, every message is about the last days. Every message is about politics. Every message, is, if you become that focused in on things that Scripture doesn't focus in on, eventually you alienate people and you cause them to have disputes. And so we try and be well-rounded and balanced and make sure that this church does nothing but teach God's Word. That's why we're diligent to be, notice this, to present ourselves approved to who? God. I want God to be pleased. That in and of itself also tells me at times you're not going to be pleased. 
You realize why? Because Scripture confronts you and it confronts me. It says things I don't like. You mean I have to forgive? Yep. How many times? Mm, Try a myriad of times. Seventy times seven. Try so many times that you can't number them. You mean when somebody wrongs me, I'm biblically obligated to forgive them? Yes, you are. But I don't want to. They're mean, and they've been horrible to me, and they cost me all kinds of hate and pain and yucky things came into my life because they were really horrible to me. Yeah, well, Scripture says if you don't want to be turned over to the torturers, you have to forgive them. And in fact, it goes on to say if you don't forgive them, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. People don't like to hear that. My ex-husband's a jerk. My ex-wife's a jerk. This happened and that happened. This person did that to me, and I'm not going to forgive them. For me to teach you the truth is to say, you don't have a choice. Now, you can stay in your unforgiveness, but it will do exactly what Scripture says. It will torture you. You will well up with bitterness, and ultimately, your life will be a mess because of it. So, I teach you the truth. I don't tell you what you want to hear. I'm not going to agree with you just simply because you've got a good reason. Because someday, I'm going to have to give an account to God for what I said to you. And I would rather stick with what His Word says and be approved of by Him than tell you what you want to hear so that you'll walk away happy. Because ultimately, the road to peace is to do exactly what God's Word says. Line by line, precept upon precept. The NIV says of verse 15 that correctly handling the Word of Truth it's actually a Greek word, it's orthotomata, and what it does is it, it means that There are certain ways to handle things, and I use my analogy of acid. You don't grab acid without acid-proof gloves. You don't pull out a jug of 18 molar sulfuric acid and go, wow, this is kind of cool, unless you want to lose a hand. There are procedures by which we handle the Word of God. Let it be seasoned with grace, and so I season what I say to you with grace. Yes, this is what God's Word declares. But there's grace for our mistakes. God's a God of love. You see, to rightly handle it means to not overemphasize it. So I'll tell you the truth. Oh, please, in Jesus' name. Don't walk in bitterness. Forgive. God's grace is sufficient for your weakness, and and He will never cast you out. But you will walk tortured. You see, to rightly handle it is to handle it the way it's supposed to be handled. It's to do with it what God intended with it. It's to say to that person, oh, please, if there's any way to reconcile your marriage, that's God's perfect will. You need to love that wayward child. I know you hate them. They've caused you all kinds of pain. You lost your house because of them. But who can reach them but you? What would you want done to you if you were in that situation? You see, you rightly handle the truth. 
You don't overemphasize one side or the other. You make sure that the process is God's process. We must use it the way God intends. And that word of truth is exactly what your Bible is. And the only way to not be ashamed is to wield it the way God intends. That's why when I hear of those churches that basically you walk in for marriage counseling and they say, well, you know, God just wants you to live in peace. So, you know, if you can't live together, just get a divorce. God's grace is sufficient. That is not rightly handling the Word of God. That is plainly denying exactly what it teaches. Because God's Word is very specific on divorce. Now, is there grace? Yes. But to put the grace in front of the promise, to put the grace in front of the problems that it brings, to put the grace in front of the damage that it does, because Scripture declares what it does, is to mishandle God's Word. And it causes people to do things that they should not do. It's not God's best for them. Is that hard? You better believe it's hard. I can't tell you how many times people have come into my office and the first time I sit down with a couple and they're having some kind of crisis, they both hate my guts. Because I pull out God's Word. I say, you know, you need to quit doing that and you've got to stop doing this. Because God's Word says so. Not because I read some book on marriage counseling, but God's Word plainly declares. You've been contentious as a dripping faucet. Whoops. You see, when I rightly handle it, everybody gets put on the same page. All of a sudden, I'm not overemphasizing what was said. I'm just simply saying what was said. I'm passing along that truth. And in that way, verse 16 says, we avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. When you just psychobabble people, when you get your godly counsel from Dr. Phil and Oprah, well, you know, Oprah's a Christian. Dr. Phil said Jesus' name one time. And I went and I talked to this counselor, and this counselor told me that, you know, God just loves everybody and loves everything, and can't we all just get along? When you do that, you throw out, you throw out the inerrancy of God's Word. You toss it to the side. And now it becomes godless chatter. It's just silly things that people make up. Pass along the actual Word of God and what it says. Because if you don't, they're teaching verse 17 says, will spread like gangrene. Now, I don't need to describe that to you too much. When someone gets gangrene, what do you eventually have to do? you got to amputate, don't you? Would you rather deal with it while it's a scratch, or do you want to lose a limb? It's not that tough. If you deal with the truth from the very get-go in your life, and you never waver from the truth, then all you get scratches. 
But if you waver from the truth and you begin to tell people things that are not true according to God's word and you give them counsel that's outside of the Bible and you instruct them to go do thus and so because Dr. Phil said so, you are spreading gangrene. And eventually they will end up in that marriage that's broken and they will be cut off. They will end up doped up on some type of medication they don't need to be on. They'll end up in a place that they should never go to because you didn't deal with the scratch and it became infected. That was who Hymenaeus and Philetus were. You see, we need to stick to the truth. That's why in the New Revised Standard Version in verse 18 it says, who have swerved. I've loved this word because it's actually very factual. It doesn't mean that they didn't know where the truth was. But they saw the truth and went, Oh, no, I'm not going that way. I'll go this way. Because the truth was a stop sign. And instead of stopping, they swerved and went around it. You can't go around the truth. Truth is truth. It demands that you deal with it. It's the same thing that you come to that four-way intersection. There's a semi across it. You better stop. Amen? That's God going, no, don't go that way. Well, you can swerve and go around it if you want. But that truck stopped because there was a train on the other side of it. Be careful what you swerve around. In this case, it was Greek philosophy that was the swerve. It could be the Bible and my book. It could be the Bible and psychology or the Bible and secular humanism or the Bible and some new theological bent that came from the Gnostic Gospels of Thomas that you saw on the Discovery Channel. I can't tell you how many times I watch those shows and it's just like, I'm going to have to hurt someone. Because that is a lie. And it's from the pit of hell and it's damaging men's souls. Jesus was not married to Mary Magdalene. And yet, how many people? Well, I saw on the History Channel, he said, yeah, and he had two other wives at least and had 14 children. Then you read the guy that was the co-producer was Hugh Hefner. (laughs) He put up the money for it. And yet, because it was on the Discovery Channel... And it had the word Bible in the title. Got to be truth. Don't swerve from the real truth contained in God's Word. We don't want to play mind science. We don't want to have the Bible in anything. That's why I can tell you that Mormon theology is incorrect because they swerved. And they swerved to the Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrines and Covenants and the Book of Mormon. And there are the four standard works, along with the King James Bible. The swerve was around the Bible and to these other books. Oh, and they speak Christianese really, really well. Don't be fooled by Christianese. Just because somebody says the name of Jesus does not make them a bearer of truth. There are a lot of people. You test it. You discern it. 
You compare it to Scripture and thereby determine whether they were speaking the truth or not. Because, as verse 19 says, God's firm foundation stands. Having taught for many years at the Bible College, I can tell you I've had all kinds of, I finally found an error in the Bible, guys. And they come up and they've got this you know, seven-page paper they wrote on why Jesus was mistaken when he was talking about you know, what happened at the feeding of the 5,000. Well, you know, there's another passage that says he only fed 3,000. Yeah, and they're two separate events. Recorded by two different guys. Well, it's an error. One's three and one's... Yeah. To you, they're an error. To me, they're two different accounts from two different people. You see, we need to stand on the firm foundation of the Word. And so at the end of this, it gives us two things. The Lord knows who are His... And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Those two things show you God's grace and also hold up the holy standard of his word. The Lord does know who are his. But he also has a standard that says if you're his, this is what you're going to look like. And by the way, those are from Numbers chapter 16. And if you remember that chapter, it's the rebellion of Korah. God knows who are his. And if you're really his, you turn from wickedness. It's a very simple statement that's a foundation stone of who we are in Christ. Because indeed you are saved by grace. But if you're saved by grace, it produces holy living. That's a simple truth of Scripture. One doesn't negate the other. They're complementary. A lot of people try and make them negate one another. Because you have the holier-than-thou club, amen? Well, you know, you guys are not saved because you sin. Well, you just did in your pride. <laughs> and then there's a the guy well, we're just children of grace, so we can do whatever we want. Scripture doesn't say either one of those things is factually accurate according to God's Word. It says we are saved by grace, but if we're saved by grace, we're children of righteousness. Both of them perfectly in harmony. That's why we stand on the foundation of God's word. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning in your word. And we pray that you would make us those who rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, help me to never misrepresent you. Lord, we recognize that there's grace for our failures. But Lord, we don't want to start with failure. And so, God, we believe that the source of wisdom on this earth is your word. The source of strength on this earth is your word. The source of knowing you is your word. Father, the things that are most precious to us, Lord, are your truths which are timeless. And so, God, we endeavor in this church to simply study to show ourselves approved to you. We pray that as you hear us and witness our lives, that, Lord, uh, our lives would stack up to your word, that we would be able to be tested and found to be good workmen, Lord, victorious workmen, workmen who do not need to be ashamed. When our work is compared to your truth, your truth stands, and because it stands, so does the things that we do for you. 
We don't want wood, hay, and stubble. We want gold and precious stones. And so God, help us to be those workmen who are not ashamed. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship our King.